All right, let me invite you to open your Bibles, please, to the book of Philippians, chapter 4. Let's take a moment and pray together. Father, thank you for this opportunity to open your word, to worship you as we read and study and consider your word. We pray by your spirit that we would understand what this passage means, and we pray, Father, that you would bring about an appropriate application of it into our lives. Ultimately, may we see our Savior, the Lord Jesus, because of our time together in your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So I had the privilege yesterday of watching my son's graduation from the United States Naval Sea Cadets Boot Camp. One of the main goals of these types of training evolutions is to unearth the individualism that each one has developed over the course of their lives. Uh, The goal is to take each recruit and help them to recognize that they're part of something bigger, whether it's the sea cadets or if it's the, um, the Air Force version of that, the, I forget the name of it now, escapes my mind, but there's, a, there's an Air Force version of that same program. And then if you get into the Navy or the Marines or any of the other branches, branches of the military, when they send you to boot camp, they send you in, they bring you in, you are an individual, and when you leave, you are not an individual any longer. Uh, not as far as the military is concerned. So they shave your head, or if you're a a female, they make you have an updo. Not the fancy kind. Not the fancy updo you have at a wedding. It's like the non-fancy updo uh, to make you look like all of the rest of the girls. Uh, They have specific types of socks you have to wear and specific types of undergarments you have to wear, and everyone has the same beautiful sea bag Um, And, of course, they they have uniforms, uniforms. Uh, The word uniform comes from a Latin word. This kind of sounds like uniform. And it means of one form. And the reason for that is to make sure that everyone blends together. It is not one individual. This is a unit. So there we were yesterday morning. We were there nice and early, and we were waiting. And every now and then you'd see the, the men and women in white uniforms, and I think, I wonder if I'm going to be able to see, if I'm going to be able to see Drew. We haven't seen him yet. We haven't seen him for two weeks, and that that feels like a long time uh, when you're used to seeing your son every day. And and we're looking for glimpses. Um, And then they start marching out at 11 a.m. sharp. They start marching out, unit after unit, or division after division. And you're looking, trying to figure out, is that, is that Drew? No, is that Drew? No. Is that him? No. And, and it's like, you know, how many years have I been staring at my son and I can't figure out which one of these sea cadets is mine? And eventually we found, thank, thankfully there was, a, there was a, um, a rather vertically challenged individual in front of him. And so we were able to identify him from then on. Um, but the purpose is to, to make it so that an individual is not shining. Instead, it's the division that's shining, or even more so, the entire ship's crew is shining. The point is to make people not individuals, but in fact, to make them part of a larger scheme. The uniforms did a great job um, hiding. 
from a military standpoint, it is best for everyone to look and to function with, the, uh, with such precision that they have become one unit. My chief in my training, and it wasn't unique to him, used to scream all the time, uh, one team, one fight. That was it. One team, one fight. So if someone's struggling with PT, we're all PTing until they get it. That's the way it is. It's one team, one fight. And you're, the, the old expression, no man left behind, that's the same concept. This is not about you surviving. This is about your unit making it through. That's the whole purpose of, of military training. So this is true in the military world, but it's not necessarily true exactly like this when it translates into the church. But there are elements that must be in play. While we don't all look the same, we don't have the same haircuts and the same socks and the same uniforms, uh, we are to be living for a perspective and a theme and a mantra that is beyond our individual purposes. We're to be living beyond our small world and entering into something that is much grander, much more glorious. We're part of something bigger than ourselves. And what we start to learn when we get that concept, because you and I get up on Monday morning and we start to think about the things we have to do this week, or maybe... If you're like my wife, you thought about that on Friday. You look at the week ahead and you start to plan things out and you have all these things that have to get done. You don't have any choice. If you don't make any plans, you're not going to eat. And you have a responsibility to eat, whether it's for you or if you have a family, to make sure that they can eat. All of these things are necessary. If you don't plan, you're not going to do a great job at your, at your um, occupation. So this is all normal. However... What happens is our world gets smaller and smaller. It's like looking through binoculars. And you can see pretty well what it is you're looking at. But you can't see the surrounding elements of it. It, it tunnels your vision. And the reality is when it comes to our Christian life, we have to back away from the individual life that we live to see a grander perspective. And when we do, we're going to recognize this. We are in this together. We are in this together. As Paul moves toward the close of the letter to the church of Philippi, he's writing a thank you note. And as we get into this section, and we're going to skip a little segment of it, because it will be our topic next week, verses 11 through 13, we'll cover next week. It is very much a part of the context, but we'll, we'll show how that fits together Next week, in this section that we're going to discuss this morning, we should note some principles, more principles that we've been unveiling from this book, principles related to gospel fellowship or gospel partnership. First of all, gospel partnership requires consideration. Gospel partnership requires consideration. Look at verse 10 of Philippians chapter 4. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length, or finally, after, after a period of time, you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. This is a very interesting way to introduce a thank you note. 
it actually gets even more interesting when you get into verses 11, 12, and 13. It's, it's almost like if you don't read this correctly, it's almost like you can see, like, Paul, are you actually saying thank you? What exactly are you saying when you're saying, I didn't really need your gift? You know, I'm fine without your gift. He, he doesn't have that cavalier attitude. That's not what he's saying. He's letting them know that he has rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that it, God created within him a, a praise to God because after a, an interval of time had passed, God had revived within them. The, the word revived has the, it's like a word picture of a flower or a plant shooting out a new branch or, or blooming out some new petals. Uh, for, for us to see. After a period of time, something has revived. Some life has come out. He's revived a concern. The word concern there in the Greek is phreneo. Phreneo means to think. To think. He said, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now, after a period of time, God has revived within you thinking toward me. If he stopped there, we would have, we'd be missing a little bit of, of what, what he had to say. He says, you were indeed concerned. You were thinking about me, but you had no opportunity. So this, let us back up again, just for a moment. I have a map for you. I don't show you maps very often. And it's tough. It used to be the screen behind me, and so I could point to things. Now they're out there, and I can't really. So look on the screen to the top left-hand corner, and you'll see a beautiful lime green. See the beautiful lime green? That's Macedonia. You'll notice, probably you can't see the letters in between there unless you have really good vision or maybe you have some binoculars. Um, you, as part of that grouping of black letters, you'll see at the very top of that green section, toward the right, is Philippi. Philippi is part of a Roman province called Macedonia. And when Paul wrote to the second Corinthians, when he wrote a second letter to the Corinthians, he commended... To the Corinthians, the, the giving of the Macedonian churches. In fact, what he said about the Macedonian churches, of which Philippi was a part, they didn't just give, they gave sacrificially out of their great, great or deep poverty. So they're in poverty themselves, and out from them abounded this great gift for the church at Jerusalem because... They were concerned more about the saints in Jerusalem than their own needs. He actually told them that they, he asked them to stop giving. But because of their having given themselves first to the Lord, then they gave themselves to others. They, they gave this great offering. So the Philippians and the Macedonian churches all were very generous. But because of their poverty, they weren't always able to give as much as they wanted to. Even when they gave in that particular gift greatly, there came a period of time where they weren't able to. And, and Paul is acknowledging that. He's saying there was no opportunity at the end of verse 10. There was no opportunity for you to act on your thoughts toward me. Gospel partnership includes thinking. Sometimes, as, as nicely as we think about someone, we can't always meet their needs, but there are times where we do have opportunity to bring forth something that can meet the needs of others, and gospel partnership brings that to the forefront. Paul here is acknowledging their love and thoughtfulness toward him. In fact, as we move a little further, look down at verse 14, he, he 
puts it in another way. In verse 14, he says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. It was kind of you. So he uses the the Greek term kalos, kalos, uh, which means to act honorably or nobly or to do something well. My favorite use of the term kalos is in Mark chapter 7 and in verse 37. The word is spoken of Jesus where the people said, he has done all things well. He's done all things well. And so here, Paul says in the book of Philippians, you are doing well. Your your kindness is springing forth. Your activity, your actions are in line with the very spirit and well-doing of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Gospel partnership isn't focused inward. Okay, I, uh, what can I get out of this? What, what needs will you meet of mine? In fact, it, it, it moves outward. What needs can I meet in your life? And particularly toward ministry and spreading of the gospel. Back in Philippians chapter 4, we noticed already that gospel partnership requires consideration. Secondly, gospel partnership requires sacrifice. Again in verse 14, yet it was kind of you to share that word partner or fellowship, the word is koinonia, to share my trouble. Trouble, the word there is philipsis. It's a great Greek word. It means affliction, affliction or tribulation or trouble. He said, when you entered into partnership with me in giving, you ministered to me in the midst of my need, in the midst of my, my adversity. Gospel partnership looks for people's trouble and tries to enter into that mix. And not only to, you know, I'll pray for you, buddy, but to come alongside and to share, share in that difficulty. It's a very important concept This is not simply a thank you note. Hey, thanks very much. It is a manual for us to understand what it is like to have a gospel partnership with others. He shared with their troubles. This is exemplified in a number of ways, and I want for us to to note this. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. If you're using one of our church Bibles, you'll find that on page 1007. Hebrews chapter 10, the author of Hebrews is writing to this group of believers, Jewish believers uh, for the most part, that have been displaced, some of them from their homes. They're, They're experiencing great difficulty. He's trying to encourage them. And he says in verse 32 of Hebrews chapter 10 about their time in their past, he says, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, after you had come to know Jesus, you'd been saved, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Remember when you were just saved and you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Verse 33. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners, that's fellowship, Partners with those so treated, for you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Just 
Just meditate on that, that section just for a moment. We're talking in Philippians. We're talking about this gift. We're talking about the fact that, that Paul is saying thank you. Thank you for being a participant in the ministry with me, a gospel partaker. Thank you for doing this because when you shared with me, when you fellowshiped me in, with, with me in this way, you were a partaker of my trouble. You came alongside me in my trouble. And here in Hebrews 10, that's exactly what's happening. The, the writer of Hebrews is saying, you came alongside of those who were in deep distress, and because you valued the eternal things instead of the here and now, you participated you shared, you cared, you gave up something of your own to meet the needs of others. Prison in those days was not like prison today. Not that prison was glorious then, not that prison is glorious now, but one of the benefits of today's modern day prison system, at least in this country, is every day you eat and you are clothed and there's something to drink. In the first century, there was no guarantee of any of that unless someone met your needs. Paul was in prison because of the ministry of Jesus Christ, and people met his needs. That's the Philippian church is part of it. These group of people in Hebrews that are being addressed had, had dealt with one another in this way. And it really is ordered and patterned after our Savior. Take a look, please. You're already in Hebrews 10. Just take a left to go over to chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. This is what our Savior does. There are lots of passages of Scripture that are my favorite. This is one of them. And if you'll, if you'll set your mind at ease from whatever else might be distracting you and just concentrate on this passage of Scripture just for a moment, it will... If you know Jesus as your Savior, it will become precious to you if it is not already. Listen to what he says beginning in verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize. The word means to feel together with our weaknesses. Since, excuse me, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And so the Lord Jesus in our weaknesses as our great high priest who has passed through the heavens. This is the one who is at the right hand of God the Father. Always, always always making intercession for us. This one feels with us in our weaknesses. This is the pattern he has set. The God of all glory, the one who said, let there be light, and there was light. The one who gathered the waters together as a heap, this one, who right now sustains each star and planet. The one who has bound together all of the molecules of the universe feels with me. He has compassion toward me. This is the work that our Savior has done. 
And this is the type of work that the Hebrews, Hebrew Christians, were involved in. And this is exactly the kind of work that the Philippian church was involved in. In their sharing with Paul, they were having compassion upon Paul and the church at Philippi, or the, the churches that he was ministering to, because they had a bigger perspective. Like the, the Hebrew Christians, they, they, they recognize that they have an eternal and abiding possession that's coming their way. The one that we have right now, it's transient, it's, it's temporal. You could do everything you can to keep all of your property together, and you'll probably do a great job. It'll probably look pretty good, but give it a few hundred years. It's not going to look so good. And even if someone preserves it after you, you're not going to be there to enjoy it. So we're talking about temporal things over against eternal things. Head back to Philippians, please. Remember, that's page 982 in our church Bibles. Philippians chapter 4. Paul is writing a thank you note. He's saying, thank you. You, You've brought rejoicing to my heart in a time of distress. You came alongside of me when I was in need. You shared with with me in my troubles, verse 14. He goes on in verse 15. He says, and you, Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, in the beginning of the gospel ministry, when I first went out with the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. So he went out. Remember, he wouldn't take money from the Corinthians. They were wealthy. He wouldn't take money from them. Not because their money was dirty. Remember what he said? I don't want to use my liberty. I don't want to take credit away from the gospel ministry. I don't want you to feel as though the only reason I'm preaching the gospel to you is because I see something I can get from you. He said the same thing to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. There's nothing wrong with a minister being paid. There's nothing wrong with a missionary being supported. That's not anything that Paul ever says Uh, But what he has done is he set a pattern that I don't want you to think I'm coming to you so you can give me something. The Philippians, on the other hand, were not wealthy. And yet he accepted gifts from them because he knew that they knew, that he knew that they knew that they knew that he knew, that the whole thing was about the gospel. It's all about the gospel. So as they give, their financial support was not was not because he was a wonderful, stellar character. It was in support of mission. The church, this church, every church that knows Jesus Christ, the church is called to support the mission of Jesus Christ, both in its local area and abroad. That communication is explicitly communicated in 1 Timothy chapter 5 when it talks about local church ministry, that the the elders that... that, um, that labor well in the word are to be given double honor. You as a church have been very faithful in that. That's local ministry. And that is also explicitly communicated about foreign missions in Third John as he talks about making sure that the missionary can travel from one location to the very next, having all his needs met. Uh, that is a, it's, it's a clear biblical pattern that the church, whatever this church, other churches that are Bible churches, are supporting gospel ministry. It's financial, it's sacrificial. As you look into verses 16 and and on, uh, look what verse 16 says. Even in Thessalonica you sent me help for my needs. How often? All right, we got one participant. Let's try this again, ready? One team, one fight. Here we are together. 
looking at God's word, verse 16, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs. How often? Once and again. Once and again. again and again. I, I was there and, and ministering, and you kept taking care of me because you were about gospel ministry. Verse 18. I have received, what does it say? Full payment and more. I am well supplied. He's letting them know you are not shortchanging me. You are generous. I am well cared for. I have not run out. You sent me this gift, and it has been an abundant gift. It is enough. I am satisfied. You've met the need. Gospel partnership requires consideration and sacrifice. Thirdly, gospel partnership seeks the benefit of others. Gospel partnership seeks the benefit of others. Look what it says in verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Not that I seek the gift. We're going to cut into a section that we haven't touched base on this morning that will be our subject matter next week. Look in verse 11. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, he says, even when I'm in need, God is enough. God has taught me to be content. God is He's, he's taught me how to be satisfied even when life is hard. We know he's in trouble, verse 14. We know he has need, verse 16. But he's not communicating with them, writing them a thank you note to butter them up so they might send more. Don't think that my whole life is about extracting something from you. I have much greater ideas for you than taking something, than you giving me something. In fact, I have something else. Verse 17, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit, not my fruit, your fruit. The fruit that increases to your credit, or to say it differently, the profit that accrues to your account. I love what Hebrews 6.10 says. This will be on the screen. Don't lose focus. Hebrews 6.10, look what it says. For God is not unjust. We know that. God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. God doesn't miss a thing. Did you know that? We miss all kinds of stuff. We forget things. We aren't observant of, of someone's kindness to us. Someone does something. We don't even know about it. God doesn't miss a thing. And God is not unjust, unjust to forget anything that you ever do for the sake of serving him, glorifying him, loving him as you care for the saints. And he says, you're still doing it. Take a look at Acts chapter 10 for just a moment. Gospel partnership seeks the benefit of others. He wants 
fruit to accrue, to bound, uh, increase to their account. In Acts chapter 10, this is, this is pretty, it's pretty interesting, talking about this man Cornelius. You're probably familiar with Cornelius. Look what it says beginning in verse 1. At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what is known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. That would be staggering, right? (laughs) Whoa, I've never seen this guy before. Listen to what he says. Verse 4, and he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. If I could right now put an emoji on the screen, it would be that that guy with the head blown off and he's got a brain above his head. That is mind-blowing. It really is. Think about this. Here's Cornelius. I don't know anything about Cornelius except what the Bible says. I don't know him, but it says he feared God. Not just him, but his household. So he was, he was devout. In theory, um, as far as I can understand from, from studying about him, he's called a God-fearer. God-fearer is not just like he fears God. There's something. It's actually a particular title. He was someone that had come as close to converting to Judaism as possible, but he wasn't willing to be circumcised. I don't blame him. That seems uncomfortable. But he's a God-fearer. He's very uh, interested in the things of God, and God brings him to this point where uh, through his giving and his prayer, God lets him know via an angel, and we know he comes to conversion in Christ later on in this chapter, God says, I want you to know all those things, all those times you've prayed, all those gifts you've given have ascended as a memorial before your God. And I don't think at the time the guy was converted. What is that? What, What do you do with all of that? Here's what you do with it. God notices everything. God notices everything. Did his prayer and his giving save him? No. No, he still is converted later on in this chapter. That's, the point is not that these things the, ascend to God, give you credit, and now you're saved. Everyone is saved only through the work of Jesus Christ. Only. But there's something specific. There's something special. There's something unique about God paying attention to all the things that are going on. God notices. So when Paul says, I'm not, it's not that I'm seeking a gift, I am seeking fruit abounding to your account, know this, our gospel fellowship, our gospel partnership is pleasing to God and is rewarded for his glory. Paul's desire was that the church of Philippi would flourish in the gospel. And he let them know that God would not shortchange them in their generosity. Let's head back to Philippians as we bring this toward a conclusion. Philippians chapter 4. Gospel partnership requires consideration. It requires sacrifice. It seeks the benefit of others. And finally, 
Gospel partnership exalts God. Gospel partnership exalts God. Verse 10, and we already looked at it, but at, in verse 10 gives us this idea. It, leaves, it brings it out as a, a headliner. He says, I rejoiced that now at length you revived your concern for me. That's not a full reading of the text, right? What is the rejoicing? Who is he rejoicing in? Who gave the gift? So God sent him a check in the mail? God sent him a gift via Epaphroditus? Who sent the gift? The Philippians sent the gift. And who does Paul give credit to? Well, he gives credit to them. <laughs> but his rejoicing, his rejoicing was in the Lord. I rejoiced, rejoiced past tense, one-time action. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that you gave this. It brought rejoicing at a time that I desperately needed it. The reason he rejoiced in the Lord is because every good and every perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness nor shadow of turning. Every good thing that comes your way comes from the hand of God. That's true. The Philippians were the avenue by which God was rejoiced in. So not only did he rejoice at that time, because it says very specifically about a specific time, I rejoiced. He used an aorist tense, which means at one time in the past, he rejoiced. But he doesn't stop there, because the rest of the context lets us know that he's still rejoicing. So the rejoicing took place at a point in time, but it also continues on. Look down at verse 18. He says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. This type of giving that the Philippians were involved in has eternal impact. The wording Paul uses in verse 18 is to remind us of Old Testament sacrificial offerings, sacrificial giving, sacrificial service. It was a scent that was pleasing to God. And God says uh, when, when, the, when Noah and his family get off the ark and they sacrifice to the Lord, the smell of that offering ascended, and it was a pleasing aroma to God. So he had this sacrificial imagery that God is reminding us of. Paul uses similar language like this throughout the New Testament in a number of places. Let me just draw your attention to two of them. In Philippians, excuse me, Romans chapter 12, and in verse 1, Paul says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable worship. So he talks about presenting ourselves, talking about a living sacrifice, and he talks about spiritual worship or service all together. So our giving of ourselves to the Lord is tantamount to this concept back in Philippians chapter 4. It's a pleasing aroma to God. In Ephesians chapter 5, he uses it similarly this way. 
He says, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So the concept that he's bringing to our attention as he talks about this, this gift that you gave was a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. The concept is that they took their eyes off themselves. This was about the Lord. This isn't, I wrote down the, you know, how much I gave to them so that I could point it out to the rest of the flock. Hey, look, I gave such and such to, to help out so and so. Isn't that good of me? This is something about the Lord. This is far and above things about reputation. Far and above about feeling good about oneself. This is a spiritual worship. Partnership in the gospel is about forgetting about ourselves. Think about it this way. Without this type of self-forgetfulness, we would remain in our sin. And what I mean by that is that the Lord Jesus, our Savior, forgot about his own best human interests when he laid down his life as a sacrifice for the sins of many. Think about it. He did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. This is because of a self-forgetfulness of his own human agenda. He lays down the perfect pattern for us. Not only does this type of sacrificial living bring glory to God in this life, Paul rejoiced in the Lord greatly, but it, in verse 20, he is glorifying God forever and ever in it. Look what it says. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. God is to be glorified forever. And God is glorified in gospel ministry, in gospel participation. And part of that is in giving and receiving. In verse 19, we can't leave this portion out. It's an important verse of scripture. Look what he says in verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So, here's what you could do. You could say, the word need in verse 19 is in the singular. So, God is only meeting our most basic, most important need in Jesus. You could read it that way. That is not what I think Paul is getting at here. Paul uses the singular of need in verse 16 as well. Look what he says in verse 16. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me, sent me help for my needs. The word in the Greek is a singular word. Krea. It means need. You sent to help my need. In verse 19, he uses the same exact word with the same exact uh, uh, number. It's a singular. And he says, my God will supply your need. He'll supply your need. And it comes out of his riches... In glory in Christ Jesus, which means there is no lack. There is absolutely no lack. When God gives according to his riches, he gives according to everything, because everything belongs to him. It's similarly said, these, these statements 
in two other passages that Paul's given to us, that God has communicated to us through Paul. In Galatians 6, 9, it says this, And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And in 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 8, God's word says this, The point is this, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. The point in Galatians, the point in 2 Corinthians, the point in Philippians, is not about give to get. That's not the point. The point is, supplying good to God will always reap good for you. God is not unjust to forget. God will never shortchange you. Now, defining what shortchanging is interesting. Right? Because God doesn't make a promise, if you give 10 bucks, you're going to get 1,000 back. Some people will tell you that. That's false teaching. I won't even tell you, if you give 10 bucks, you'll get 10 bucks back. I won't tell you, if you give 10 bucks, you'll get one buck back. I'm making no promises. That's God's business. One thing I can promise you is, when you give to God... You will never, you will never be shortchanged. How long is eternity? I have this conversation with my youngest son. As he wants to tell me, I love you 99, 98, 97, 100, 1, 1, 1, 367 billion, and he keeps going all number after number, and it's like in, out of order and illogical. But he keeps saying it, I love you. I, say, I love you that much. Let's just get it this way. I love you infinity. Well, I love you three billion infinities. Well, that's the same as saying I love you infinity. He's five, so he's not going to get it. But I keep trying to explain it to him. I love you infinity. Infinity doesn't stop. You can't get more than infinity. Well, eternity doesn't stop. You and I, those who know Jesus Christ as our Savior, will reap, will reap a harvest day after day, after day, after day, after week, after week, after month, after year, after decade, after century, after millennia. It, it is going to go on and on and on. You'll never, ever, ever, ever be shortchanged. God has met our most basic need in Christ. He often, often meets our most basic needs in life with food and raiment. Let us be there with content from the book of 1 Timothy. We know these things. But what is it all about? Is it about giving to get? Is it about giving to, 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 to store up for eternity? Well, that can be that. It, there's more to this text than even money. My, we very rarely talk about money here. You know that. If you're a guest, I'm sorry, you came on the money week. Um, we're not on money because I thought it'd be a great idea. We're going through the book of Philippians. Here we are. 
most of us know we very rarely talk about money. So I'm not even talking about this text to extract anything from you. You are so giving and kind, I am blown away regularly by how kind this church is to our family particularly, particular, but to the church ministry itself. It's wonderful. So this is not about that. It's about gospel participation. It's about gospel partnership. To see that when we're doing these things, it, it is for a larger and a grander purpose. We're in this together. What are we doing? We just gather together. It's a fun little thing we do on Sundays and Sunday nights and Wednesdays and Saturday mornings and you know, ladies on Thursday mornings. Is, is it just about getting together? It's a fun little thing to do? No. No. Though it is fun for most of us, it's about, it's about participating in the gospel together. It's all about gospel ministry. It's, it's not giving for giving's sake. It's about supplying the funds for the proclamation of Jesus Christ in our area and around the world. We're in this together. We need to be able to step back, step away from the daily grind and see that we're living our lives out in the presence of God and that there is more than getting through another week. We are living in the light of that which is eternal. And so Paul is coming to the end of this and he's letting the Philippian church know, hey, I want to, in addition to the other things we've talked about, I want you to know that I treasure the gift that you've given Not because I wouldn't have been okay without it, but because I want God to bring forth fruit in your lives. And I want God to replenish that gift so you might be able to give it again. Because we are in this together to share, to suffer, to to endure through difficulty, and so that we might proclaim day in and day out, week in and week out, the gospel of Jesus Christ for God's glory and for the betterment of the world. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for all you've done. Thank you for this privilege of opening your word. Help us to humble ourselves before you to see that this text, while it is about financial items, it is far more about the gospel. And we pray, Father, that you'd help us to treasure the gospel. Thank you, Father, for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross to bear the sins of many. Thank you that that Death was sufficient to cover and pay for my sin eternally. Thank you that you raised him from the dead, triumphant over sin, triumphant over Satan, and triumphant over death. And Father, thank you that you're willing to grant to each one who calls upon the name of the Lord eternal righteousness and eternal life. We pray, Father, for anyone here that's never trusted Jesus as their Savior, that even today, they would recognize that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is enough to obtain their eternal redemption. Help us as believers that we would be desirous of giving to you first ourselves and then all you've blessed us with for your glory. We pray that you would continue to fund this ministry for your glory and church ministries all around the globe and missionaries all around the globe that the gospel of Jesus would continue to be proclaimed for your glory and for the betterment of the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.